Now, would you turn with me, please, to that portion of God's Word that we read? The epistle of Paul, the apostle to Philemon. And I wish uh, this evening to uh, give a broad consideration to the epistle, but if we are to focus our minds, it's surely gathered around these words that we have in verses 15 and 16 of Philemon. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that is, the servant, that thou shouldest receive him forever. Not now as a servant, but be above a servant, a brother beloved, specially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. The epistle that Paul writes here to Philemon, he writes from the prison cell. And he writes it to the place of Colossae. Now we notice that it is Colossae because we uh, we we read of that in uh, the the epistle here, where he's he's writing to uh, Archippus, and he's writing uh, about Marcus and Aristarchus and Demas and Lucas and so on. And this is what we read in Colossians chapter four and verse seventeen. And say to Archippus, who is in Colossae, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord that thou fulfill it. You see, the epistle here to Philemon, it's a, it's a personal epistle. And yet it's found within the, the pastoral epistles, those, those epistles that the apostle here writes uh, unto the church about pastoral issues. And here we have in Philemon, I believe, a great demonstration, as it is, centered on, on this slave that, that runs away, this slave that departs from Colossae, and we'll see more of that in a moment, and he heads to Rome, and there in Rome he meets the Apostle Paul, and Paul brings to him the gospel, and the gospel is, is so blessed uh, unto Onesimus that he is converted by the Spirit of God. And here, all of what Paul is doing as he writes to Philemon, we can see shadows replicating the shadows of the gospel and that work of grace in the life of Philemon. Now, we, we know something surely of our own uh, experience and our own knowledge, that the Lord takes we might say the worst of people. And who of us here tonight, uh, if we have received that, that grace of God, will not say within the depths of their hearts that they themselves are the chief of sinners, because that is what the light of the gospel brings into our life. We see the heinous, of our own, the heinous nature of our own sin more than we will ever see 
our own righteousness. We will more times cry out with the Apostle Paul, uh, the more we are exercised, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And so we know that uh, when the gospel comes, that it, it takes us out of being those, those slaves of sin, out of being those who are uh, tied up to the things of the world, uh, those who uh, continue to see in the vessels of the world, the broken cisterns of the world, the water that delights our souls for a, a, a wee while. Then, as uh, that gospel light comes upon us, we see that those broken cisterns are indeed broken, but the water within them, it's stale water. It's corrupted water, and it doesn't even satisfy uh, the longings within our hearts. And there comes then that point in time when the Spirit works, as we shall see it unfolding here, that we find no water to satisfy our thirst in this world. And friends, for as long as we find satisfaction, and as long as we find what we believe is quenching our thirst and our desire in this world, we will never look onto Jesus Christ. And as this gospel comes, it, it restores, it recovers, it redeems. It is a powerful thing. And Onesimus here is, he is an object of, of grace itself. I want us to, as the Lord would enable us this evening, to, to look at just a few things. The first thing that we would say is this, that we see here uh, in its shadows, we see here uh, how God's grace works in the heart of man, how God's grace works in the heart of man. And I use the word man, as you would know, for woman, for young person, for boy, or for girl. Uh, verse 10 of Philemon, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. Here we see the ministry of the Apostle Paul. This apostle that goes uh, out from the Jewish nation, and he is the apostle to the Gentiles. He goes into uh, the various parts of Asia Minor. He, he brings that gospel onto those that will uh, indeed be set in his way to receive it. And Paul is, a, is an instrument in the hands of God. And that is how the scriptures remind us of the ministers of the gospel, the, the ambassadors of the gospel. There is nothing inherent uh, about them as individuals that is good and commendable. Uh, you will remember that Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. He says uh, of the ministers of the gospel, they are earthen vessels. Earthen vessels. 
that word, that, that, that phrase, earthen vessel, to us today might, might give us uh, something of a, 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 a cause to say, well, here's something special. It's, it's made out of earthenware. Well, back in the days of the Apostle Paul, the earthen vessel was, was a disposable item. It had a, a, a one-use purpose. And when that vessel was emptied, the vessel was thrown away. It was discarded. It was, it was like the, the discarding of the, uh, the plastic items today. It was a one-use item. And he says that the ministers of the gospel, their only value is what they bring. And it is the gospel itself. The glorious gospel that sets forth a glorious redeemer that brings Jesus Christ before men. And Paul is such an instrument here. I, he, he, is, uh, he brings out this word in verse 16. Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. He says, now, as a result of this gospel, here is one who is a brother beloved. A brother beloved. Friends, that can only take place by sovereign grace. Free grace. Unmerited grace. Precious grace. Ah, friends, this evening, do you believe that grace is indeed grace? And it's not works. Do you believe this evening that it is sovereign grace that the Lord sends it where he will and that it is uh, an effectual grace for where the Lord sends it, that will indeed draw unto himself. How does grace works in the heart of man? Well, the first thing we can say is this. When the grace of God comes, it, it works by preservation. It works by preservation. Let me give you the background, and I'm sure you, you perhaps know this. You know that there's Philemon, and he's obviously a, a, a wealthy man. And he's, he's got this slave, Onesimus. And so Onesimus comes, and he, 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 he runs away from Colossae. Maybe it was the case that Colossae was was an insignificant place uh, as far as he is concerned. But he runs away from Colossae. He runs away from the home of Philemon. But he's doing more. He's running away from the church of Christ. He's running away from the place where the gospel is delivered. Uh, verse 1, Paul a prisoner of Jesus Christ and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved, and fellow laborer. There Philemon was engaged with Archippus in that church, that small church perhaps in, in Colossae. But whatever it was, Onesimus runs away from it. Perhaps he had been uh, 
hearing the word, and that word was convicting his heart. That word was, was coming to him. And often it is the case, and perhaps we know it in our own experience, uh, that uh, when that word begins to, to come close to us and, and we are being brought into the area of conviction of sin, we try to remove ourselves from it. And so he, he leaves. And he leaves the place of a godly influence. He leaves that, that home that had given him instruction. He wrongs his master. Whatever we might think in these days of the nature of the servanthood that was mentioned, it was probably a type of slavery. Very easy for us to, to come with, uh, with all of our understanding today, but he was breaking the law. He was, was running away from his master. He was a rebel. He, he was like the prodigal son, as it were. He turned his back upon the preaching. He shut out the word of God from his ears. He goes to Rome. Oh, Rome was totally different, wasn't it? Rome was the exciting place. When he was there in Rome, he wouldn't have to be in the church. You know, there are many. They mightn't run as far to Rome, but they will run away from the church. They will run away from the place of preaching. They will go to, to anywhere where it is uh, soft and honeyed words. And so he is in this nature. He, he turns his back upon the preaching, upon the godly influence, upon those who are, who are encouraging him. Someone one time, I think it was on, it was on Jonah, and their, their title to their commentary was Preacher on the Run. Well, here is one, and he, he is a sinner on the run. And he goes to Rome. Now, let me tell you, friends, about Rome. Rome was a dangerous city. It was a dangerous city because paganism was there. It was a dangerous city because atheism was there. It was a dangerous city because all of the, the immorality and lack of religion was there. It was a dangerous place because it was a place of jeopardy. A place of jeopardy. Rome, in a sense, is that far country that the prodigal son goes to. Or away from the father's home. Away from the family worship. Away from the old uh, type of uh, presentation of the truth of the gospel. And yet, what does the Lord do? The Lord preserves Onesimus there. The Lord didn't leave him to himself, but he preserves it. There's preservation. And maybe, friends, you can look back in your life and you can see that perhaps over your life there were times when 
you were off the path and you were going down wrong paths and dangerous paths. Maybe, maybe there were providences. I was reading recently of one of the old worthies uh, in, I think it was Capes. He met a man who at that time was very unusual because he was somebody who didn't go to church, who had no time for the things of God or eternity. And he said this to him, he said, have you not been receiving epistles uh, from death? Have you not been receiving letters from death? And the man replied, well, what do you mean by that? Well, do you not have an ache? Have you not had a cold? Oh, yes, I've had that. Have you not had, had, a, had a soreness in, in your hand? Oh, yes, I've had that. And he said, those are letters from death. Friends, we are reminded how frail the body is. And we should be reminded about that every time that we have an illness, every time that our head is sore, every time that we, we have the slightest of colds. That is reminding us of the frailty of the body. And maybe the Lord has brought you through things like that. And what was he doing? There was preservation there. But the second thing, we see how this grace works in the heart of man is it works in regeneration. It works in regeneration. New life, being born again, we might say. Verse 10, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. Now, that word begotten there is significant. It's it's, it's, the word, it's the word to do with new life. It's the word to do with birth. You see, Paul was, was a prisoner, and through Paul's ministry, Onesimus became a, became a son. He, he was the one that he, that he looked to because he was a son in the faith. And it was because the Lord had so worked in the, in the heart of Onesimus that that heart, as we said this morning, was no longer a heart of stone, but it was a heart of flesh. In other words, it was a heart that could now live. You know, a heart of stone, a hard heart, it won't live. It won't live. When the heart becomes so hard, and this is, this is a, a medical fact, when the heart becomes so hard, it stops beating. It stops pumping the blood. And we die. Well, friends, the Bible uses that in a special way to describe regeneration. Being born again. Being born again means being born from above. You see, we're born the first time, of course, you know this. And, and I'm sure the, the young people will know it as well. We're born from above. We're born, we're born the natural birth, and then we are born from above when we have this new birth. Now, what is that saying to us? Well, Nicodemus, you will remember, comes to the Lord Jesus Christ in, in John chapter 3, and, and he, he begins to, to speak about theology to Christ. And Christ reminds him 
that what he needs is to be born again. And he said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Now, that word see means, it, it means to understand. He cannot understand the kingdom of heaven. He, he cannot grasp the kingdom of heaven. He, he, he perhaps sits under the word and he, he can't fully grasp it. Unless he's born from above. And then when he's born from above, then he understands that this, this kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. And to be brought into this kingdom, he needs that work of grace. But then Christ brings before Nicodemus a second thing. He says, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom. To enter the kingdom means to, to move into the kingdom. In our old nature, we cannot move spiritually. Uh, we are dead in trespasses and sins. And so we, we need this new birth to be born again, to be born from above. The instrument to being born again by the power of the gospel is this new birth. First Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy had begotten us again unto a lively hope, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that faded not away, reserved in heaven for you. Friends, that is the truth of the gospel. And that is what Onesimus was born again unto. Regeneration. But then, of course, we know that something else must happen in our lives. You know, you do not know, and I do not know, at that point in time in which the Spirit came and put this new life into our hearts, we, we don't know when it was. It might have been. Uh, many years ago. It might have been not so long ago, but it comes before something else. It comes before conversion. It comes before conversion. Verse 11, which in time past was to thee unprofitable. Now here, the Apostle Paul is, is speaking about Onesimus, but now profitable to thee and to me. The word profitable there, uh, the, the Greek uh, word is, is very, very similar to the word Onesimus itself. It's, it's a playing on the two words. And what the apostle is saying is here, this is a man who has changed. And that is what conversion is. Conversion is a, a change. You see, he, he's now living up to his name, profitable. For now, he's really profitable. And friends, that is, uh, at that point in time with conversion, it is uh, taking place justification itself. How can a man be right with God? How can a woman be right with God? How can a young person be right with God? Surely that is the question that, that we, we ask continually. How can I be right with God? Well, friends, we can only be right with God when the righteousness of Christ is laid to us 
Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation. In other words, there is therefore now, not in the future, there is therefore now justification. Justification is an act of God's free grace. That's what our catechism reminds us of. It happens in a moment of a time. It happens in that moment when we lay our trust upon Jesus Christ. Faith. We can see many aspects to faith. There is the faith of assent and all of that. But friends, there is only one faith that is saving faith. And that is the faith of trust upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. The finished work of Jesus Christ. And what will one of these things be? Well, we were looking at some marks this morning, or we we're looking at one mark this morning, and some subsidiary marks of those who have been born again, those who have been converted. We can say that there will be one thing that will be evident, and that is brought before us here. There will be humility. There will be humility. Look at what we have in verse 12. Speaking about Onesimus. Whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him, that is, mine own bowels. You see what the Apostle Paul does? No, do you see what Onesimus says? He goes back, back to Philemon, back to the one that he ran away from. And he goes back and he's carrying this, this very letter. And, and we are told that he, he is sent again. And, and he returns. Can you imagine the humiliation? Can you imagine uh, what others would have been saying? Maybe even some uh, in the church in Colossae. You know, not all people in the church are, are, are magnanimous. But he comes back. Now, before his conversion, I doubt very much that he would come back. But you see, the heart has been changed. There is a humility that has come into the heart, and that heart is now humbled. And he goes back, and he carries this letter, and the Apostle Paul knows that there has been a genuine work of grace in his life because he trusts him. He trusts him. How this changes the runaway. See, before he had arrogance. Before he was rebellious against authority. Before he was looking for that, that place that would satisfy the outward things. And now when the grace of God comes, he's humble and he's helpful. My friends, this evening, I don't know how it was that 
the Lord maybe make you. Maybe I'm speaking to somebody this evening and as yet you have not met the Lord. And I don't know how it will be that the Lord will yet meet you. But what I do know is this, that the way that the Lord has, has dealt with Onesimus here is by and large the same way that he deals with every child that he brings onto himself. Well, how does Christ mediate for those who trust him? Now you say, well, where do you get that from? Well, let us consider a, a few things uh, this evening here. How does Christ mediate for those who trust him? Well, first of all, notice uh, the position of the Apostle Paul here. He says, whom I have sent again, verse 12, thou therefore receive him that is mine own vows. You see, what, what the Apostle Paul is doing here is, he, he, he's a picture. And he's a picture of, of the one who was the great reconciler. And this is what he is doing here with, with Onesimus. He's, he's reconciling Onesimus onto Philemon. Well, that is what Christ, the mediator, does. He is the one who brings reconciliation. He is the one who, who is the mediator between God and men. Because he's the man, Christ Jesus. Now, friends... How difficult it is for us to grasp who Christ is, in a sense, as a mediator. You see, it could never be that a mediator would come from earth or from man and mediate with God, because we have broken the law. And so it was necessary that a mediator must come who is of God's own providing. And this mediator, we are told, is the one who uh, is God's fellow. As we said this morning in the words of Zechariah, beautiful words from Zechariah. And he, he, he comes and he, he mediates. And a mediator is, is one who, who brings uh, those who are enemies together. But friends, we know this evening, don't we? That we are not enemies of God alone. Rather, it is, we are told, enmity. Being enemies and at enmity is different. Being at enmity means a non-bridgeable disagreement that cannot be ordinarily reconciled. You remember that was part of the curse. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between the one who is the devil in his kingdom, the one who is the church of Christ. Friends, that can only be bridged in one who is our mediator. And when the Apostle Paul comes here to remind Philemon, of what he himself owes him. 
he is linking here the outward things of Onesimus and that situation with the spiritual things of the kingdom and conversion. There is a payment that is brought as well in verses 18 and 19. If he had wronged thee, or owed thee aught, put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it, albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me, even thine own self besides. Paul was willing to pay the debt, whatever that debt might be. Just as the good Samaritan was prepared to, to pay the price at the end for the man that had fallen by the wayside. You know, isn't it a, a thought how it is a stranger who, who pays the debt in the parable of the good Samaritan? Remember how that parable goes. You will remember that uh, there is... First of all, a, a, a priest pass, passes by and he looks at the man. And then there is a Levite passes by and he looks at the man. And of course, the man was coming down from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Now, it's very likely he was up at, at one of the, uh, this, the sacrifices in the temple, as was the priest. Two weeks uh, every so often, two weeks every half a year. They went up to the temple and the priest would serve there for two weeks doing the sacrifices. And the Levites, they were, they were those that, that washed the utensils and served the priest. And they would serve for two weeks. So here was a man who was a Jew and he was going down to Jericho. A bit like going to Rome because it was a place of hazard. And the priest was after spending two weeks in the intense service of the Lord. And the Levites spent two weeks in the intense service of the Lord. And they walked past. Their religion. They were no good. And then there was a Samaritan. Who didn't go to Jerusalem to worship. He went to the Mount Gerizim. But the Lord had rebuked even the woman for worshipping in the mountain. And friends, the Lord had shown compassion on that Jew by the Samaritan. How do we know that that Samaritan had the root of the matter here? Because it's only one that knows and loves the Lord can even show a love to his fellow man, properly speaking. And that is what the Lord is bringing before us here through all of this. There is this need of payment, and it is by a substitute. Paul was saying, I will be a substitute for Onesimus. But remember that there is a work of grace that has gone on in his life. There's a work of grace that has gone on in your life, Philip, where there was one who was a substitute who has paid the price for you. And friends, that is so this evening. We have a substitute who paid the price. And we see the plea. So the position, the payment, the plea. Verse 9. Yet for love's sake, I rather beseech thee, 
being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He speaks about love's sake. He speaks about the Lord and for the sake of the Lord. And friends, that is Paul's pleading. He's pleading to Philemon. Look at what the Lord has forgiven you. And now you forgive. You know, friends, isn't it a case, and this has often been said and how true it is, and day by day we, we come to realize its, its true value. Him that has been forgiven much will appreciate Christ all the more. And friends, every day that we live, do we not appreciate Christ all the more? I finish with this. Notice how our status and our position changes. See in verse 15. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, but thou shouldest receive him forever. See, he's no longer a slave. He's no longer this bondservant. He's no longer to be regarded as such. But he's received justification. There is a reminder to us that our status has changed. But there is something else. There is justification most assuredly. The changing of that status, how we are right with God. But then there is adoption, verse 15, uh, again as we look at it. He therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever. He is a brother beloved. He is brought into the family. And friends, that is where we are when we are brought into the family of Jesus Christ. We are no longer uh, a, a family, but we are brought into the family of God, as Peter says. Adoption. As Professor John Murray, who, who said that, that adoption was the, the zenith of our salvation, and, and so it is, that we are brought to be sons of God by adoption. And then there is sanctification. This is another uh, change that comes in. Verse 16, both in the flesh and in the Lord. And you will remember that he says that he'll be both profitable for you and for me. Sanctification. Now, while justification is, a, is an act of God's free grace, and it happens in a moment of the time at conversion, sanctification is, is, is a work. It is a work where the Lord himself works in our life. Over all of the years after our conversion until the time that we pass over that bridge that there is no passing again over. And that, that work of sanctification is it's, it's a work that continues. It's, it's progressive. And friends, it's, it's often a, a work that we find difficult. And it's often a, a work that we, we find uneasy because this world is uneasy. It was John Calvin who, who said that uh, the, the Christian life is a, is a great road that is laid out 
in front of us. And it's, it's, it's got its, its, its ups and it's got its downs. And for every uh, two feet we put forward, we put one back. We know that it is a struggle. But if there is not that justification, if there is not that adoption, there's not going to be that work at all. And then there is the communion of the saints. The fellowship with the Lord's people. Paul and Philemon come uh, together. Having confidence in uh, thy obedience, I have wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt do also, that thou wilt also do more than I say. There was a bond here. Friends, there is a preciousness that comes in to those who have known and loved the Lord. And that is one of the marks of those who have been touched by grace, that they have passed from death and life because they love the brethren. And here in a, an outline way, in a, a situation that seems so temporal, the Apostle Paul is intertwining it with the work of grace in the Christian life. And indeed, isn't that an example to us? When we have come and tasted to see that the Lord is good, does that not overshadow all of our dealings with our fellow men, all of our outlooks on life? We are no longer looking to the things of the world. We no longer see things happening by chance, but we see it according to God's grace and according to God's plan. May the Lord bless his word. Let us pray. Our ever gracious Lord, as we bow before thee, we ask thee that thou would be the one who would take thy word and that thou would bless it, that thou would apply it by thy spirit. We pray, Lord, that man would not be remembered, but that none would be seen but Christ alone, that the unsearchable riches of Christ would indeed be the treasure that uh, his people would lay hold upon even this very evening. We pray now that thou would go before us and thou would accept of us. And all we ask is in Jesus' name. Amen.